this morning, I actually want to share a message that um, kind of, um, I think, is prepare us for the months ahead. Um, as we're coming into Upfest season, um, to chat to Sean, cannot believe that we're here again um, a year on, and uh, we're only about eight weeks away now from um, our next festival, which is fantastic and really exciting. But I believe this message is to prepare us. Um, for our season ahead, also for the months ahead from September as we head up into new vision season for the church as a whole, but also for our day-to-day lives um, as we um, live our lives in this faith journey. So I just really believe that as a church community, God is wanting to remind us of this, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think God wants to remind us that the spiritual battle that we're in is real, okay? We're in a spiritual battle, and as we move forward as a church, as we keep seeing people um, touched by the love of Jesus in our community, it's hotting up. Okay, so the battle is hotting up. Wow, did you see the lights go then? Adrian, was that intentional? It started to hot up. Um, And uh, the good news this morning is that um, we do not face an unknown enemy. Okay, we know our enemy. And our enemy moves in some very, very predictable patterns. He has plans and ways and schemes that we, that we know about, actually, because he uses the same tactics year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation. And they're all in God's word. They're all in the Bible so that we can understand what the strategies are. You know, if you're visiting, if you're on holiday, we have a bit of a local hero, which I'm sure you've heard of, Victor Hugo. Okay, and Victor Hugo, he said this, a good general must penetrate the brain of his enemy. Okay, that's what Victor Hugo said. And that's so true. It's so important for us to know what our enemy is thinking, know some of the plans, know some of his strategies, what he's up to, because the Bible says we need to be prepared. We need to get ourselves prepared, ready for the battle ahead. We need to be armed. Paul wrote in the Bible to the Ephesians, and it's going to come up on the screens here. He wrote about the armor of God and how the armor worked. And this morning, I want us to have a look at this, and then we're going to apply it into our own lives. How can we apply the armor to our own lives and our day-to-day living? So Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take stand against the the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers 
and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Okay, so this morning we're going to have a look. There are six pieces of armour, and I want to have a look at them all this morning. Okay, six pieces of armour. The first three, the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes of the soldier were literally attached to the soldier. Okay, they didn't come off. Okay, so the soldier probably would have slept in them. Can you imagine those feet, okay, as the soldier slept in them? They were never removed. The second three, the shield, the helmet, and the sword, all had specific purposes and methods of attack. So we're going to have a look at them all um, individually this morning. Firstly, there's what I would like to call this morning the utility belt of truth. Okay, the utility belt of truth. The Roman soldier would wear a really large belt, okay? Not like the belt you've got around you today if you're wearing a belt. It would have been a large belt that all of his equipment was attached to. Now, if you've been to Soul Survivor, which is a Christian festival in the UK for the young people, we went last year, okay? And you can tell the difference between the young people who've been camping and those who have never been camping, you can tell the difference between the Boy Scouts and the not Boy Scouts. And I have to say, a certain Dominic Coyd, well-prepared parents, okay, he looked like he literally had a utility belt on him, okay, with his things. So if you remember young people, uh, you'd go around and you'd say, you got your sun cream on? No? Okay, and he'd squirt them. Or he'd say, you got your water? Have you drunk your water? And he'd get his water off. And he was a well-prepared Boy Scout, was our Dom Coid. That is what a utility belt does, okay? It has you well-prepared. Good parents up on the balcony, they're getting their son well-ready. My son was bright red and dehydrated. But anyway, there you go. Um, they would wear a large belt that all the equipment was attached to, okay? So the breastplate was attached to the belt. The sword was attached to the belt. So the belt was a very, very important part of the whole armour. It wasn't just like a belt that was around, okay? If you took the belt off, that little funny skirt the Roman soldiers would wear would fall down, okay? The sword would fall off. The breastplate would come off. Everything would come apart, it was a key part of the armour. It wasn't just like had a belt. It was a key part of the armour. And it wasn't an offensive weapon. Okay, you're not going to go up to your enemies, whip off your belt and start whipping it round. Okay, well you might, but this wasn't what it was for. Okay, it's not an offensive piece of the armoury. You don't attack your enemy with your belt. You have better weapons, but you do need it. It is essential. And what does the Bible say about the belt? It is the belt of truth. It is truth, okay? What does this mean? It means that if we're going to overcome in our spiritual battle, then right at the start, right at the very beginning, we need to be truthful and we need to be honest before God. We need to be truthful and honest before God. In other words, not living a double life or trying to live two lives, okay? So there's not, we can't be one person at school and another person at church, or one person in the workplace and another person when we're in worship, okay? We need to be truthful and honest before God, and that doesn't mean we have to have it all together. It doesn't mean we need to be perfect before we can come to worship, or perfect when we're around. Actually, God loves us with all our mistakes and messes and all our chaotic lives. 
but we just need to be honest and we need to be truthful. And there's some people who walk around, I believe, just living a double life, a bit of a lie. We put on a performance and we put on a good show and it's not really that real because when we walk out, we're living a double life. You're doing things you shouldn't really do. If we have, uh, don't have that belt of truth around us, the foundation keeping everything together, the rest of the armor doesn't really matter. The rest of it doesn't really make sense because we need to start with being honest with God, saying where we're at, being really, really truthful before God. Number two, so we have the truth, the belt of truth around our, our waist. It holds everything together. That's the key part of the armory here, holding everything together. Number two, we have the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate was worn to protect the vital organs. Okay, everything that's kind of important is kind of in this part of your body. Okay, the breastplate was there to protect your vital organs. If you were going to attack someone, the first place you wanted to make a difference was in the torso. Okay, you've got your vital organs there. You're going to try and pierce through. And if you do, then that person is going to go down in battle. That person's going to go down in battle. It's over. The breastplate of righteousness. What does this mean to have a breastplate of righteousness? When you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified. That's a funny word. I know it's a funny word. It's one we don't use often. But justified simply means it has a double meaning. It means that God has forgiven you. You're forgiven. It's like all those things you ever did. They're gone. And can I just say, we don't need to go back to those things either. They're gone. That's our past. It's gone. They're forgiven. And secondly, it means that we're made right before God. We're made right before God. We can come into God's presence. We can worship and come into God's presence because we're made right before God. It's like a new beginning, a new start. We're right before God. So how does this work? Well, when I have the breastplate of righteousness on, when I make a mistake, when I do things that I really know I shouldn't do, and you know you get that little voice in your ear that says you're really not good enough. Look at everybody else around you worshipping. You're not good enough to be here. Or when you're opening up God's words, how dare you read the Bible? Think about what you did yesterday. How can you do that? How can you read God's word and yet you were behaving like that yesterday and that little voice comes into your head? But I have the breastplate of righteousness on and effectively it says, I know. I know I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve it. I have made mistakes. It's all been given to me as a free gift. All of it. But because of what Jesus has done, I can stand right before God. Not because what I have done, but because what Jesus did in my place. He forgave me and he made me right before God. You see, it's essential that we have it on at all times. This breastplate of righteousness, understanding and believing what Jesus has done for each one of us. It's so important. Now we come to your feet. Okay, we come to your feet. Feet ready with the gospel of peace. Now, Roman soldiers, I'm sorry if you've got sandals on this morning, but they would have worn sandals, okay? Really naff sandals, not like the nice ones that you've all got on today, but they would have been really naff sandals, okay? Uh, but they would have also worn boots, 
Okay, they also would have worn boots. Um, and the boots would give them a firm footing in the battle. And the reason why they wore boots, here's a bit of a history lesson, is the reason why they wore really strong boots is because one of the tactics of the enemy was to sharpen sticks. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> sharpen sticks and place them upright in the ground so that when your, the enemy or whoever's coming to attack you comes, they're standing on these sticks and it's really painful. Have you ever trodden on a plug? You know, upturned plug, where it's just the most painful thing in the world when you stand on an upturned plug. Okay, so they wore boots. They wore boots so that they could keep going. They could keep marching. They didn't become immobilized. They wore these boots so that they could keep going. Footwear matters. I love shoes. Do you love shoes? I love shoes. I could buy shoes all day long. Um, I think it comes from when I was young, I had funny feet that went in and I had to wear these horrible shoes because back in those days in the dark ages, you had to wear like big, horrible shoes so I could walk. And so now I love shoes. And when we go shoe shopping, have you noticed the difference between men and women? Men go for like, oh yeah, it's practical and it's comfortable and it, will it help me run faster? Will it feel good? Will it whatever? Women don't care really, as long as it looks good. We will totter around in painful shoes um, as long as they look good, okay? That's the difference between men and women. Shoes matter. And the Roman boot, what it speaks of is gaining ground. Gaining ground. We gain ground in our spiritual battles by marching forward, not looking back. Not looking back, marching forward, not standing still. How do we march forward in our spiritual warfare? How do we march forward? How do we keep gaining that ground? We march forward as we talk about Jesus. As we talk about Jesus, we gain ground. We speak to people about Jesus, and effectively we are um, invading enemy territory as we claim back ground, as we talk about Jesus to those around us. Look at your feet right now. Have a look at your feet. Okay, they are beautiful. Okay, you, <laughs> they're not, okay, I'm not going to ask you to take your shoes off because then we might differ in opinion then, um, but they are beautiful. Okay, however smelly and whatever they look like, they are beautiful feet. I don't mean physically, they're beautiful because of what you can do with your feet, okay? What you can do with your feet. You carry the good news of Jesus. Your feet take you to the places where God wants you to be. They move you to that place where the Holy Spirit is asking you to go. Let me tell you something. If you decide that you're going to start talking to people about Jesus, if you decide this morning, actually, I'm going to start, I'm going to start talking about Jesus more. It's a challenge, isn't it? We can talk about the church. We can talk about the community work. We can talk about lots of good things. We can even say to people, we'll pray for you. Try talking about Jesus. Try talking about Jesus. It's a real challenge, okay? Because there's power, as we sing, in the name of Jesus. Try talking about Jesus. And if we start talking about Jesus, then we're going to face some heavy-duty opposition. We're going to face some opposition as we start speaking about Jesus. It's not an option. We must gain ground. We need our boots on. We need those boots on. Next, we have the shield of faith. And this shield was a massive thing. Okay, you might be thinking of the ones you made in Sunday school, you know, out of cardboard or, a, I don't know, a cereal box or something, sword, but a, a shield. But actually, this was huge. 
It was a huge object that the soldiers would carry into battle. It was almost like body length shield, that high. They were incredible. The Romans were incredible on the battlefield. They had all the tactics possible and they used all the tactics that they had. They would march forward with these shields and sort of hide behind them, I suppose, stay behind them. Because one of the really common attacks that they would have would be um, fiery arrows. Okay, so they'd arrow shot at them and those arrows would be on fire. Okay, so the flaming arrow coming towards you, you're going to want a big shield. Okay, so they would have the, the shield ready so that these flaming arrows that were fired at them could be, you know, put out and diverted. The soldier would put up his shield and he would hide behind it because that was the only way to stop the flaming arrows. Now, you might say, okay, great, that's a good history lesson, great for the Roman soldiers, what's that got to do with me today? I'm not going to carry around a great big shield. Well, we face flaming arrows. That might sound a bit strange, but we face flaming arrows. The Bible calls it fiery darts, and they come in many ways. Maybe it's just a thought that comes out of nowhere. Suddenly, that thought is in your mind. Where on earth did that thought come from? Maybe you're sitting in church and suddenly a thought goes, and you think, where did that come from? More commonly, it will be two o'clock in the morning and a thought will come in and it just overtakes your mind and you can't get it out of your mind. Those thoughts that come in, those fiery darts suddenly are shot. It may be a thought of complete despair. It may be fear. It may be jealousy. It may be an impure thought. It might be envy. It might even be hatred that fires into your mind and it comes in like a fiery dart. You know, we play darts all the time when we're in France. We've got a dartboard. I know it's a bit sad, but we do pass our time playing darts. And when my parents come over, you know, it's literally, like I think I've said before, like, it's, I don't know if they can even see the dartboard, bless them. But they fly all over the garden, do you know what I mean? You have to duck, you know, a few body piercings happening here and there during the week. But um, yeah, these darts just fly all over the garden. And, um, you know, you don't want to get hit by a dart. But that's what it's like, these fiery darts just flying everywhere. And you don't know where it's come from. Goodness me, where's that come from? It's just shot and it's come into our minds. You might not even be able to believe what you're thinking. You might think, I can't, I can't believe I'm even capable of that thought. But it's come into our minds. It came as a fiery dart. And that's why we need to keep our shield of faith up. We need to keep it up because he's so clever. Our enemy is so clever. First he'll fire the dart and then he'll accuse us for being hit by the dart. Won't he? You know, when you think about something, and then, then you do it, and then you feel guilty. You know, it's, it's, those, it's those thoughts, those fiery darts that come in. We need to remember that it's not, a tempt, it's not a sin to be tempted. We know that, isn't it? The temptation is in the, not in the bait, but it's in the bite. It's not in the little worm hangling. It's when we go for it, okay? It's in, when we actually go for, for the bite. I love the saying, I, can, I can't stop a bird from flying over my head, but I can stop it from nesting in my hair. I love that about thoughts. We can't stop the bird flying over, but we, can, we don't have to invite it to nest there and stay there and think about it and take root and kind of make a home there. You know, we need to reject it. We need to reject it when it comes into our mind. So when do these attacks usually come? When does it usually come? It often comes after something that amazing has happened. 
after we've had like some sort of spiritual victory in our life, we feel like it sounds a bit Christian language, but like when something's gone well, when we feel like we're achieving well, because you know why? Because we put our, our armor down. Sometimes we're tired after a battle and we're exhausted and we think, Phew, we've got through that one and we, we put it all down. You know, when you're in the middle of a crisis and you're praying and praying and praying and you're turning to God and, you know, you're asking God for his protection. And when, that, when that's over, we kind of just poof, go back to normal. That's when the attacks kind of come in, when we put things down. You know, we put our, take our armor off and doof, 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 doof. Those little arrows come in. Doubt, fear, worry. All kinds of things come in. And we mustn't forget that Jesus himself... After he received a great blessing, he had one of his greatest attacks. He'd been baptized in the River Jordan. The Holy Spirit, do you remember, it descended upon him like a dove. And he heard the voice of his father. And the father said, you know, you're my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What an awesome moment. Immediately after, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He went into that desert place. Matthew and Luke um, used the word he was guided. Mark said he was driven. God led him there, and there the enemy was waiting for Jesus. Sometimes those attacks may come after we've had a great time, maybe after Upfest. We've all been together, and it's been great, and we've had a fantastic time. Put on your armor afterwards. Put it on. You know, that's when those things come. It's often we say after people get baptized, you know, we're going to pray protection over you this week. We're going to pray that nothing comes in to, to fill your mind. See, if we're going to just be complacent about our faith, if we're going to decide, actually, I'm going to live for Jesus in a very lukewarm, mediocre way, actually, you know, I'm just going to come on a Sunday. I'm not going to do anything throughout the week. I'm just going to come here on a Sunday. I'm not going to tell anyone about Jesus. I'm just going to poodle along. The devil's like, I don't need to worry about them. I don't, need to, I don't need to worry about them because they're not making that much of a difference. You know, it's when we're hot, when we're on fire, when we're thinking, actually, I need to tell everybody about Jesus. When we're trying to influence people around us, saying to them, you know, come and hear what Jesus has done. Listen, my friend went forward for prayer on Sunday and they were healed. That's what my weekend was filled with. When we start to say and talk about Jesus, that's when we start to find our spiritual battle hots up. It also comes when we read our Bibles. Have you ever noticed? I think this is one that we can all relate to. You can read any book you want, any book. You can watch any TV program. You can listen to music. You can play games on your phone. You can um, play games on your iPad. The second you open your Bibles, the kids are setting the dog on fire. The washing's burning in the tumble dryer. You know, the, the, everything's a disaster. You remember 10 emails you should have sent. The phone rings. Someone messages you. The moment you open your Bible, you know, this is real. This is real. The battle we are in is real. We have so many distractions that we come in because the last thing the enemy wants you to do is read your Bible. That's the last thing he wants us to do. And do you know what? We need to be more passionate about reading our Bibles. This is the word of God to us. We need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be allowing the word to sink in. 
that simply because, and I'm going to quote this, sin will keep you from this book and this book will keep you from your sin. There is power in the Bible. There is power in God's word. God wants you to read your Bibles. That's why the flaming arrows will come when you open up your Bibles. It will come. You need to actually be disciplined enough to switch everything off, turn everything off, go somewhere where actually if it's the toilet in your busy house, it doesn't matter, okay? Go and read your Bibles. Find that place. God wants us to read our Bibles. That's when we hold up our shield of faith. And here's another thing about these shields. I've said this before, but the Roman soldiers would hold them together. Okay, they would go into battle together. When the barrage of flaming arrows was coming, they would lock in together. They would put their shields together. They would march forward together. Sometimes they would stop and just, it literally looks like a cube that they've made of these shields on the sides and on the top as they protect one another. So they're marching in, the arrows come, they get down, they get hit. They stand up again, they keep marching. You know what? There is power in unity. There is power in in battling on together in unity. As we do it in unity as a church, you are not alone in the spiritual battle, working together, praying together. Jesus said, um, again, I tell you, truly, I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done um, done for them by my Father in heaven. There is power in unified prayer. When we get together and we pray, we need to put our shields together, lock in together. We're in this battle together. Then we have the helmet of salvation. So we go from the shield to the helmet. We have the helmet of salvation. It will protect you all over. It wouldn't just protect you like a bicycle helmet, okay, the top bit of your head. It would protect all down, your ears, the back of your neck. If you're in a battle and going against the enemy, he's going to come at two areas, your torso and your head. He's going to try and fight your head. You know, when they were going to battle, the idea was literally to decapitate someone, okay, to take their head off. Okay, that's what it was, before, what was for. That was the aim. So when the enemy is going to come, he's going to try and hit you there. So what does the helmet protect? It protects your mind. It protects your thoughts. Why does your mind need protecting? Because our minds are where our thoughts and imaginations come from. That's where things actually get out of control, isn't it? Where temptation, where worry, where anxiety, where doubt, that's where those things start, right into our mind. If you think about the last time you did something wrong, can you think about something you did wrong recently? Put your hand up if you did something wrong recently. Oh, you, you wicked bunch. Um, um, yeah, think about something we've done wrong. If you trace it back, okay, even like a, a, if you've stolen something or something's happened, it starts in here, doesn't it? It doesn't start with that. It starts with thinking something or seeing something that we want. It all starts in our minds. It all starts in our heads. The devil's clever, you know. If I think, you know, if you like going into New Look, I think, oh, that's quite nice. That's quite nice. I'm not sure. I haven't quite got enough money. And the assistant comes over and goes, oh, that's nice. You'd look really nice in that. Why don't you go and try it on? And before you know it, you're in the changing room. You're trying it on. You think, oh, yeah, it is really nice. And you're buying it even though you haven't got any money. Okay. Or you go like into the cafe on a Wednesday 
Okay, and uh, there you go. You go into the cafe on a Wednesday and you decide, actually, I'm only going to drink tea and coffee today. I'm not eating cake, okay, today. And um, you go in and the ladies behind the counter, I'm not suggesting that they're wicked, but they, um, they, they go to you, look at the cake. Coffee and walnut cake, lemon cake, lemon drizzle cake, bakewell tart, want one, want one, want one. Before you know it, you're sat down eating the biggest slice of Len Lorraine's bakewell tart because you can't resist it, okay? Um, and in the same way, you know, we get this little thought in our head says that I know you're a great Christian. I know you're really good. I know you read your Bible and I know you pray and I know you'll never do this, but it won't hurt if you just do a little bit of it. Or you just have a little taste of that thing. That's okay. Just have a little taste. Just have a little try. And that's why we have to protect our mind. We have to protect our mind from those little things that just come in. Have you ever thought that you can't think two thoughts um, at the same time? You can't think two things. If you're thinking um, about lovely things, you can't be thinking about horrible things. You could think them straight after, but you can't actually think about them at the same time particularly men, um, but you can't um, think about these things at the same time. If you are thinking a loving thought, okay, if you're thinking a loving thought, then it's very hard to think an unloving thought. If I'm thinking, I'm just going to pick him because he's there and he's my son. I love Joe, I love Joe, I love Joe. I can't be thinking, oh, his bedroom's untidy and I can't believe he does it at the same time. Okay, I can think it afterwards, but I can't think it at the same time. Okay, we can't actually think two thoughts at the same time. One replaces the other. So in the same way, we need to fill our minds with truth. We need to be filling our minds with the truth. As a family, you know, we've been through some very intense spiritual battles over the last 16 years. Some things that have been really hot. And there's times when you lie awake at night and it's like those fiery arrows get flung into your mind and you think, are we going to get through this? Are we going to get there? You know, can we actually do this? Thoughts like, will we ever be happy again? Will we ever get through it? And little doubts come in. You'll never survive this one. You're never going to make it through this one. And I've had to learn to take that thought and replace it with a biblical one. You know, we were having a chat in the, in the office this week, and I was chatting with Nathan about a situation, about someone um, struggling with a spiritual battle. And we were saying, just stick some verses up on the wall. Where does this thing happen most? Is it, is it in the night? Is it when you wake in the night? Put some verses up on the wall, you know? For example, when I have, you know, you'll never su survive this, I've got, um, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. When I think I'll never be happy again, it's like, you know, you, you have the verse there, all things work together for good for those who love God. You hang on, you replace the thought with a promise from God. You replace it with the promise. Take the thought of despair and replace it with hope. We need to come to the lies of the enemy with God's words. We need God's words. We need to come with them with the truth. And that's why we need to know our Bibles when those times of difficulties come. We need to know the word of God. And if you're unsure, if you're sitting there thinking sometimes, I'm not sure if that's God's voice or not, hold on to Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Run your thought past that. Is it lovely? Is it building me up? Is it noble? Is it, is it admirable? 
Run it past that. And if it's not, then you can say, actually, that's not for me. That is not for me. That is a lie that I'm hearing in my mind. I need my helmet on to protect my mind. Finally, the last weapon is both defensive and offensive. It's the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. What is the sword of the Spirit? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. I'm going back to it again. It is God's Word. It's the Bible. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. You've got this weapon to use because you can have all the greatest armor in the world. But if you don't have the sword, then the enemy's going to get to you before you can get to the enemy. We need the sword. We need to learn how to use the sword of the Spirit. That's why when we come to our Bible study and our Bible times, the enemy wants to keep us away. That's why he wants to distract us. That's why he wants us to make us think it's a bit boring. It's a bit irrelevant to us today. It's hard work. That's why he wants us to think that. Let's go back to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. So Satan comes to him and attacks him. Jesus has been um, there for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry, really hungry. And the devil comes to him and says, why don't you turn a rock into a piece of bread? Now, if I was Jesus, personally, this is a miracle I would have used quite a lot, I think. Oh, no, I'll turn a rock into a pizza, thank you very much, or a burger or something. But he never did it, did he, for his own benefit? He didn't do it for his own benefit. That's why Jesus is Jesus and I'm not. Why? But he, you know, he, he could have done it. He could have done it straight away. He could have turned that rock into a piece of bread. But this is what he says. This is how Jesus responds. He says, it is written. He uses his sword. He uses the sword. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He uses his sword, the word of God, to fight back. And that's what we do. Now, Jesus could have said, go away and banished him. He had the authority because he was God. But he didn't. He faced him as a man. Why? So that we can have the example, the demonstration to us of how we too should use the sword of the Spirit when we come under attack. That's how we resist temptation. In Psalms, it says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's so good to carry a Bible with you, whether it's on your phone, whether it's in your car, whether it's in your, I don't know, rucksack at school. Carry the word of God with you. See what happens. Okay, get to know the word of God. Memorize it. And so many people say, I'm no good at memorizing things. I can't memorize things. I'm one of those. I say, I'm no good at memorizing things. And yet, I can probably tell you every word of friends. Um, You know, watching friends, I can probably tell you the next episode that's coming up. I can sing every lyric of my favorite song. You know, there's lots of things that we can actually remember when we put our minds to it. Okay, how can we allow the word of God to soak in? Listening to worship songs is great. You realize how many of them are actually based in scripture. You know, listen to worship songs, allow it to soak in. Okay, learn the word of God. We've got to commit ourselves to it. So I want to ask you, how sharp is the sword in your hand? How sharp is the sword that you're carrying? Is it sharp because you've been studying, looking at God's word, allowing it to transform your life? Or is it a bit rusty 
and actually a bit dull and actually, you know, quite blunt, really. How sharp is the sword in your hand? You know, if we neglect reading our Bibles, our spiritual life will fall apart. It will fall apart. We need God's word in our life. You know, it's amazing the difference God will. I set you a challenge this week. Go somewhere and pull out your Bible and put it on a table. So like if you go for a coffee somewhere, take your Bible with you and, and put it on the table and start reading it. Okay, and just see people's reactions around. I love to do that when I travel. You know, if you're on a plane and you open your Bible, you can see people just and look, you know, like look or looking away, desperately trying not to look. Okay, it's a funny thing. God's word has power. God's word has power. The Bible is alive. The Bible comes alive when we read it. God's words to you. They are God's words to you. And you can open it up and read it, but here's the key. When we read the Bible, we need to pray. We need to pray for God to speak to us. Listen, the word of God and prayer, they can't be separated. We, we need to see them as a whole thing. We need to ask for God's inspiration. The leaders of the early church, they gave themselves, it says, to reading of the word and to prayer. To prayer. The word enlightens us. God's word enlightens us. It shows us God's word. But prayer enables us. Prayer enables us to live out what God has told us. We need to be praying. The final part um, of the passage in Ephesians says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with every kind of prayer and request. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. We're going to close in a moment, but we're going to be closed by praying for God's people. We need to lock in our shields. We need to come together. We need to unite. We need to pray a protection over one another. We need to pray that we'd have the courage for the boots to take us to places to share the good news of Jesus. We need to pray that we can open ourselves up so that we're truthful before God. We're truthful and we're honest and it's almost like we're stripped bare and we say, this is who I am. This is who I am, God. I haven't got it all together. We need to do that. Be truthful before God. We need extra protection over our minds, over our thought lives. And finally, we need to sharpen that sword that's within our hands. We need to sharpen the sword within our hands. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And um, I just want to um, allow some time for prayer this morning, allow the Spirit, spirit to really speak to us um, this morning. And uh, I'm going to, in a moment, um, ask people to come forward for prayer. Um, but as I, was getting, as I was getting out the shower this morning, um, I was just praying about my message this morning. Yeah, in the shower, that's my quiet place, um, as I was getting out the shower. And I just felt, and I you know, don't want this to be all about me, because this is, but I felt God said, be truthful, be honest. Because I think sometimes um, people look, and I've had it said to me, it's okay for you. It's all right for you, the spiritual battle, because they look at us and they say, Martin's doing worship and you're here and, and the children are fine. And um, it's okay for you. If you knew my struggle, then, you know, like it would, you know, you, you wouldn't be, say what you say because the battle for me is really hot and really real. And um, I just felt that God was saying, 
to me this morning. The past 16 years for us have been a battle, okay? You know, two, ch- two miracle children that we have um, born, like, miraculously to us. Um, one little girl who celebrated her 13th birthday this weekend in heaven that we have between us over the last 16 years. Marriage that has sometimes gone over road bumps, but we've made it. And I just feel like, you know, like the battle is real, The battle is real in each of us. It'll be a different journey for each of you. It'll be a different experience for each of you. But I felt God say something to me in it all. It's a choice. It's a choice. Okay, each battle that we've come to as a family, we've had to choose. I could choose to despair. And I could choose to say, that's it. I'm laying down my sword and I'm taking off my armor. I've had it. But I chose, and I'm so grateful to God that we've chosen, to say, actually, God, you've chosen me, so I choose you. I choose your plan for my life. I choose your plan for my family's life. And however difficult that might be, however difficult it might be, I choose it. I choose it because all things work together for good for those who love God. And this morning, I believe we come to a point where we have a choice. We have a choice to decide We have a choice side not to live in hope, to live hopeless and think there's no hope here, or to choose God's promises that he has a hope for the future. We have a choice to say, I'm going to live my life in fear and worry, or actually I'm going to choose the promises of God, that actually he he says, trust in him, lean on him with all understanding, lean on him, and a peace that passes all understanding will fill your life. So this morning as we come to a crossroads, I want us to pray. I want to pray for one another. I want us to lift our shields together. Pray for one another. Pray for the armor of God. Put it on daily. Can I encourage you just to, in bed in the morning, say, as simple as, God, I put my armor on today. Be with me today. And I lift up my sword 